Let's just open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you that as we've heard this morning that you are the good, good Father. You are our Father. You are our Abba. You are our Daddy. And Father, we just ask that you would open our eyes this morning to the calling that you have on men in this country to rise up and be fathers. That your identity, just the same way that your identity is manifested in mothers, that your identity once again would be manifest in this nation, in, in this world, as a father through us. Heavenly Father, we, we, we come against those destructive forces that are trying to relabel, rename, destroy the family that you created. The family was your idea. So this morning we thank you. We thank you that uh, not only have you called us, but you've equipped us. And uh, you know, the manifestation of fatherhood is, is going to rise in, in this nation. We just love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to talk about being devoted fathers, being devoted fathers, and uh, I believe, I believe that there's no greater um, subject that, that, that we as a society need to address than that of fathering. As we discussed earlier, you know, anywhere that a father is represented most of the time, it's either in a negative connotation or it's in a... Um, making fun of that uh, he's the doofus. He's the he 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 he's not hip. He doesn't know what's going on in the world. He he's irrelevant. Right? The kids are smarter than the father. They might be smarter than the father, but they're not as wise as the father. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. We truly, we truly are living in a fatherless generation. And the prophet of old, uh, Malachi, that was the, Ital- the Italian prophet, you know, you know the prophet Malachi? Or is it Malachi? It must be Malachi. <laughs> the prophet Malachi seen this in the spirit. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming and great, great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Over 3,000 years ago, the prophet Malachi solved the importance of reuniting fathers with their children in the last days. This restoration of a committed relationship between fathers and their children would be the force that will shatter the curse that is in our land. See, we're in the New Testament, and I, I, Jesus bore the curse, right? God isn't sending a curse on our land, but we curse ourselves, Sin still has consequences. And we are reaping, we are reaping from us not 
take, from, from men not taking their place, their rightful place as fathers. Because did you just hear what we, we just read? The Word of God, the Word of God says when fathers' hearts are not connected with the children's hearts, it brings a curse on society. And we are whirling from the results of such curses. Today, my prayer, my prayer is that before you walk out these doors, you'll hear the Lord shouting to your spirits for fathers to take their place in correcting society. Malachi seen that there were fathers. There were fathers. It wasn't, it wasn't that, the, that there wasn't fathers. It's not that the fathers died. It's not that they were missing somewhere. There were fathers, there were sons, there were daughters, but their hearts were not connected. We are living in the most fatherless generation in history of America, in which our fathers did not die in war. During the Civil War, around 1820, there were about 31 million people in the United States. Of that 31 million people, 687,000 men died. They were gone. It took two decades. It took two decades for our nation not to be fatherless because they were dead. They were gone. See, the children, even though they didn't have fathers, they still had a reason. They had a reason why they weren't there. They had a reason why they had no fathers. But today, this is the most fatherless generation in American history whose fathers are alive. But their hearts aren't home. As you know, the 60s, I didn't grow up in the 60s, but I've heard a lot about it. As you know, the 60s, um, they had the, th- the thing called the sexual revolution. And the motto, the motto of the 60s and the sexual revolution was, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. Have no morals, make no commitments, let alone covenant commitments. Marriage doesn't matter. And this shifted the mindset of our nation. Before, this, before the 60s, sex before marriage was looked down upon. There was a stigma in getting pregnant out of wedlock. The morals of our society caused a positive peer pressure. That's one of the great things. That's one of the things that Cares Bible College promotes about their college. And I'm excited about Mark and Chloe going out there. One of the things that they promote is that there is peer pressure at Cares Bible College, but it's positive peer pressure to live up to your potential in God. Amen. But in the 50s, there was positive peer pressure in our society. Because of society's morals, it pressured people to live up to those morals. Even if people were not changed on the inside by the Spirit of God, they still lived on the outside accordance in accordance with society's standards. During this time, the church set the moral standards of society. 
Now we have a different institution that's trying to take the place of God in our life. The 60s didn't cause sin. Let me understand that. Sin existed. People were sinning before the 60s. Sin was already in people's hearts, especially if they weren't born again. See, before the 60s, people still sinned, but they knew it was sin. What the 60s did was give its stamp of approval on sin, and it caused a, more, a, a major shift in our society, and the church needs to stop this downworld spiral. Today, most people are confused about what is right and what is wrong. And the shame of it is that that's, it's true even in the church. See, Darwinism, Darwinism was injected, that, and, and it flows from a communist mindset, it was injected into our public school system in the 1920s. But it never took root. It was, it, they, it was, they were trying to get it into our way of thinking in the 20s, but it never took root until the 60s. It never took root until the 60s. Why did, it, why did it finally take root? It's because people were violating their consciousness. They were violating their conscience, and they needed a reason they needed a reason why they didn't have to answer to God. See, they wanted to live like hell and not face heaven. Darwinism was the pressure relief of the shame of society. We were taught that we were we, we were taught that we were not made in the image of God. That we're no different from animals. We, on, on social media, I shared this on Wednesday night, it's just amazing the thought process of, of human beings today, that, that this idea of, of this morality towards animals. On social media, there's things on there talking about people that own cats and how terrible, how terrible they are for declawing their cats, how immoral that is, how immoral it is to, to put a cat through the declawing um, process and that pain and that agony and that they live for the rest of their life in pain. I don't know how they know this because I've seen cats that are declawed. They look fine to me. But they live through the rest of their life in pain and agony and we do it because of our selfishness. All we want is to, we care more about our furniture and our house in, in those things more than we do our, our cats. Now, I don't have nothing, there's nothing wrong with cats, right? Just as, if, as long as they stay in the road where they belong, I, there's no, no issue with cats. But, but we say these things, we say these stupid things, but, and then they, they turn around and say, if your education's gonna suffer, if your career's gonna suffer, if you might suffer financially, then it's okay to end a life. That is the insanity of the society that we're living in. We're taught that we're not made in the image of God, that we're no different than animals. We, we are taught that it's basically um, you and me, baby, are nothing but mammals. And then we wonder why we live like the animals on the Discovery Channel. 
I was going to say something different, but I bounced it off my wife, and she said, <laughs> she, she corrected me on that. Darwinism caused the value of humanity and the value, value of a morality to drop in our nation. Darwinism also stole humanity's purpose because you were just a big cosmic accident. If you're an atheist, if you don't believe in God, if you, if you believe in evolution, you should never question your existence. You should ever, never wonder, why am I here? What's my purpose? What is my destiny? Because you have none. You're a big mistake. And I'm here to tell you that, you, you know, some of you might have been a mistake. Your parents might have not been expecting you. Your parents might not plan it for you. But God, from the foundations of the earth, was expecting you, and he was planning for you. Darwinism gives us, is, we have no purpose. Humanity has no purpose, purpose. And the whole mantra of Darwinism is basically, let's eat, let's drink, and let's be merry, because tomorrow we die. So what happened as a result of this shift in society? What was the outcome to this newfound freedom in sin? In 1950s, less than 5% of children were born out of wedlock. According to the Center of Disease Control and Prevention, in 2017, that percentage has grown to 40%. Today, 70% of, all, 70 of all black children are born out of wedlock. 50% of all Hispanic children living in America are born out of wedlock. 39% of all white children born in America are born out of wedlock. It's not hard to see what happens when you take away morals and values. Fatherlessness is result. Do you know that according to real clear politics, as I was preparing for this message, it just came to me, and I said, I'll Google it. Of the 27, of the 27 deadliest mass shooters, 26 of them were fatherless. There was an article I heard about, and then I looked it up online and found it. it was, it's called um, Of Elephants and Man, Men. So if you Google Of Elephants and Men, uh, you can look it, look it up and read it. It's, uh, it's good. But I'm going to read some of it to you. Some years ago, officials at the Kruger National Park and Game Reserve in South America were faced with a growing elephant problem. The population of the African elephants, which were once endangered, had grown larger than the park could sustain them. So measures had to be taken to thin the ranks. A plan was divided, devised to re relocate some of the elephants to other African game reserves. Being enormous creatures, elephants aren't easy to transport, right? 
So a special harness was crafted to airlift the elephants and fly them um, out of the park using helicopters. The helicopters were up to the task, but it turned out that the harnesses weren't. Um, they, they, could handle, they could handle the juvenile and adult female elephants, but not the huge African bull elephants. So a quick solution had to be found. So the, the decision was made um, to leave the much larger bulls at Kruger and relocate some of the female elephants and the juvenile males. But something strange happened. Rangers at the park began finding the dead bodies of endangered white rhinos. At first, poachers were suspected, but the huge rhinos had not died of gunshots, and their precious horns were still left intact. The rhinos appeared to be killed violently with deep puncture wounds. Not much in the, in the animal kingdom can kill a rhino. So rangers set up hidden cameras throughout the park. The result was shocking. The culprits turned out to be, the, uh, mar- uh, turned out to be a marauding band of aggressive juvenile male elephants. The very elephants relocated from Kruger National Park a few years earlier. The young males were caught on camera chasing down rhinos, knocking them over, and stopping and goring them to death with their tusks. The juvenile elephants were also terrorizing other animals in the park as well. Such behavior was very rare among elephants. Something had gone terribly wrong. Some of the park rangers settled on a theory. What had been missing from the relocated herd was the presence of a large dominant bull because they were all left at Kruger. In in natural circumstances, the adult bulls provided modeling behaviors for younger elephants, keeping them in line. To test this theory, the rangers constructed bigger and stronger harnesses, and they flew the older bulls, some of the older bulls left at Kruger. Within weeks, the bizarre and violent behavior of the juvenile elephants stopped completely. The older bulls let them know that their behaviors were not elephant-like at all. In a short time, the younger elephants were following the older and more dominant bulls around and learning how to be elephants. What can our culture learn from this story? That if it takes a father elephant to teach juveniles how to be elephants, it takes a father to teach sons and daughters to be children of God. What are what are the social effects of fatherlessness? What are the social effects of removing fathers from the home? 90% of all Af- American inmates are now men. 75% 75 to 90% grew up without a father. There's different there's different uh, studies that show 75 to 90, the, um, but it, none of the studies show under 75%. We got Pastor Chuck here that leads um, um, Forgotten Men's Ministries, 
in Huron County, and I'm sure that he, the conversations that he's had with inmates, I haven't talked to him personally, but I, I bet your fatherlessness has a lot to do with the baggage and the past that a lot of these men come from. 63% of all youth suicides are from fatherless homes. It's five times greater than if you have a father in the home. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 32 times more if you have a fa- than when you have a father in the home. 85% of all children that show major behavior issues come from fatherless homes. 20 times greater than those that have a father in their home. And as we already discussed 26 out of the 27 mass shooters, the most deadliest mass shootings were done by people that had no father in the home. 80% of all rapes come from fatherless homes, 14 times the average. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes, nine times the average. So what happens when you remove Fathers from a home, when fathers are removed from a home, society becomes very ill. Here's a little information that you might not know in this day and age. Men and women are not the same. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 22... It says, then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to man, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, woe man, because she was taken out of man. Everyone say, taken out of man. Taken out of man, right? Where was one woman? In the man. But she was taken out of man. Men, stop listening to society. You can't get in touch with your feminine side. Because you don't have one. The only way you can get in touch with your feminine side is to get married. And your wife can let you know. My wife lets me know. When I'm a little too abrasive, a little too less, not compassionate enough, she corrects me, and I welcome that correction. Men do not have a feminine side. Women do not have a masculine side. When God said it is not good for man to be alone, he took woman out of man for them to stand alongside each other, and when they do, they complete the image of God. Women are opposite to men, so they correspond and they complete one another. They, we need one another. If you take away woman, you do not have the full image of God. If you take away man, you do not have a full image of God. Adam woke up and seen the woman that used to be on the inside of him, and he said, I need you back. Let's marry. And, and, and marry means to merge. The two shall become one. Therefore, 
A man shall leave his father and mother, and they shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife were not ashamed. There was no reason to put verse 5 in there other than that's Amanda's favorite Bible verse. Amanda's my wife, for those that don't. (laughs) This was a prophetic declaration made by Adam. Do you know that? Because Adam didn't have a mother. Adam didn't have a father. He only had God. He's prophetically saying, it was a prophetic declaring who would pursue who. Men are the pursuers. Men pursue women. The man leaves his father and mother and pursues completeness with his wife. Adam is saying, you have value. You were born to be adored, and I am going to pursue you. I am the pursuer. I am the cultivator. I was cultivating the garden, and now I'm going to cultivate yours. See, the fear of stereotypes has taken away role models. There are masculine and feminine roles. We need patriarchs and we need matriarchs. The kingdom of darkness, the perverted, the wicked are pushing us to a gen- genderless society. And they are trying to do it in a perverted sense of love and false morality based on their own lusts and passions. Our society has reduced love down to sex. They say to you, you can't tell me who to love. That's not what they mean at all. They use that wording to say, how can you tell me who to love? That's not what they're saying. What they're truly saying is, you, it's none of your business who I have sex with. It's none of your business. I can have sex with anyone or anything that I want. And and we have people in in Hollywood that are, just recently, that are um, uh, backing Michael Jackson because of a new documentary come out. That it's no one's business who he has sex with, even if it's children. It's terrible. See, we reduce love down to sex. Our society has reduced love down to sex and I, I have lots of people in my, love that, in, in my life that I love greatly. Lots of people that I love greatly, that I love passionately, and I've never had sex with them. And guess what? I don't even want to have sex with them, but I love them. Love and sex is not the same thing. God creates everything with a purpose. Do you know that? Everything is created with purpose. Do you know that even colors have a purpose? One of the ways that colors have a a purpose is that some insects can only see certain colors. And because these insects can only see certain colors, they're only attracted to certain plants and flowers. That's amazing. God imagined man, God imagined woman, and he gave them attributes to fulfill his divine purpose in the earth. For instance, when God gave women breasts, 
He did not just give them the physical attributes, but he also gave them a nurturing nature. Can men be nurturing? Of course they can. But are men leading the charge? Are they leading the way when it comes to nurturing the family? No, they're not. No, they're not. Women are. Do you know that women carried every single person on the face of the planet? Women are peacemakers. Women are compassionate. Can men be be compassionate? Yes, we got to be. We got to learn to be. But here's the question. How many wars have women started? None. Men are the one that says, you don't like me? I don't like you. Let's go to war. And women are, hey, let's talk this out. Right? Women are the peacemakers. Women are compassionate. Men start wars. Women are physically weaker. Uh, I'm sorry. Now, 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 understand, my wife has had four children. She is stronger in areas that I can't even comprehend. Can't, can't, I can't even start to compete with. But men are physically stronger. In the Olympics, men are 10% stronger on average and 15% faster. That's just science. It's just the facts. Men are physically stronger, and with their physical strength, God created them with the responsibility to protect, promote, and provide. God did not just make men stronger, but he, but he caused them to have a role that women are not leading in, because we're different, and we complement one another. And if you don't think that's true, I have a question for you. A husband and wife are laying in bed. They hear a noise. They hear a noise that sounds like someone's breaking into the house. Who is the one that goes and investigates? The husband. And if a husband doesn't, guess what? There's something wrong with them. I mean, no one wants that story told. The man is the one who engages. The man is expected to be the protector He is expected to be the provider. He's expected to be the promoter. Here are the side effects when you remove fathers from our culture. Abortion is a major effect of fatherlessness because women are being impregnated by men instead of fathers. Abortion is not the sin of motherhood. Abortion is the sin of fatherlessness. The percentage, the percentage of abortion goes down drastically when a man steps up and pledges, commits to be the father. Do they still happen? Yes, they still happen, even in those cases. But statistically, it goes way, 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 way down. The absence of fathers is causing behavior, intolerance, and lack of discipline. Mothers, finish this sentence for me. Just wait until... Just wait until your father gets home. See, fathers teach how the family is to relate to authority. Mom negotiates. Mom talks things out. Dad says, do it now. Do you need to communicate with your kids? Do you need to um, teach them why you're, you're telling them to do the things that you're doing? Yes, but there are times when they just need to know, 
Do it because I said so. They need to understand authority. Well, why do I got to do it? Because I said so. That's all you need to know. The issue that we are facing with disrespect of authority, teachers, I mean, mean, people don't want to be teachers. No one wants to be a bus driver. No one wants to be a police officer anymore because of the disrespect in our culture. The issue that we are facing with the disrespect of authority and not honoring those in authority is due to the issue of fatherlessness. See, don't get me wrong. God is loving. He's a loving Heavenly Father. He wants you to know Him as your Abba, as your Daddy, but you still need to have the fear of God. He is still Father. God is your friend, but your friend is still God. There is still a hell. When we feminize our culture, we remove hell. We just say, God's so loving, God would never send anyone to hell. You're right, he won't send anyone to hell. God doesn't send anyone to hell. He says, over my dead body will you go to hell. But there are still people that refuse his love and choose to jump over his body to get there. God died so you wouldn't go to hell. He has done everything to keep you out of it. But if you still will to go there, fathers, there's lots of things that you've experienced with your own children that you willed them not to do, and they did it anyways, and it created great pain. Men lack confidence to lead and provide for a family because it has never been modeled for them. Therefore, they delay and reject marriage covenants. Men invite boys into manhood. Men invite boys. Fathers invite boys into, into manhood. The rites of passage. The rite of passage is a process that a man, men acknowledge that a boy has become a man. Without a rite of passage, boys struggle to grow up as they grow old. Some of, you, some of you, there's men that are in their 50s that still have never, ever been told that you're now a man. Stop acting like a boy. Girls experience a rite of passage when they have their menstrual cycle. And because, because of this, there's an acknowledgement. There's an acknowledgement that they are now women. Come into your womanhood. But when there is absence of fathering, There is no rite of passage. Many cultures have a rite of passage. The Jews have a rite of passage called bar mitzvah. Um, African cultures have a rite of passage where they go out and kill a a lion, I guess. Or if they're vegetarians, they go out and wrestle down a cabbage or something. I don't know. But, but, But they do something. They do something that causes everyone to acknowledge that he is now a man. Um, Corbin's turning 13 this year, and we got we got a plan. Um, we're going out to Isle Royal, and we're hiking 42 miles of Isle Royal. And I keep on telling them we're going to Isle Royal to leave the boy on the island and bring back a man. Fatherless men tend to be players rather than leaders. They elevate pleasure over purpose and responsibility because they are not equipped for for manhood. 
Men are being feminized because mothers without fathers are raising them. Fatherless men relate to women as mothers and sisters, not as wives and lovers, because they never observed how a husband relates to a wife. Hmm? Yeah. Fatherless men do not pursue lovers, they pursue mothers, someone who will care for them, not a person that they can provide, protect, and promote. In a fatherless society, life becomes being true to your feelings instead of being true to your purpose. Your feelings change every day. If you had a friend that lied to you as much as your feelings do, you wouldn't trust a word that they said. We think that how I feel is how I am. How you feel is not how you are. Listen, here's the truth, Bob, that our culture needs to hear. How I feel is not who I am. How I feel is not who I am. I do not get my identity from my feelings. Who I am is who God says I am. Who my father says I am. A father teaches, teaches men to conquer their fears and not negotiate with their enemies. A father teaches men to provide for their families. A father teaches men to, to compete for the prize, fight for their promises, and build for their futures. Fathers help their children to discover their identities. When their ch children are small, the first question they ask is, what's that? What's that? I had four kids. I went through this. What's that? What's that? What? What's that? That's a glass. What's that? That's a Kleenex box. What's that? That's a microphone. What's that? That's a chair. And then what's their next question? Why? What's that? That's a Bible. Why? And as a, this is the father. I don't know. Go, go ask your mom. Go, I don't know. I don't know. Go ask your mom. But there's a third question, question kids ask. There's a third question that kids ask when they hit puberty. And they start asking the question, who am I? Who am I? In the roles of parents, they, in, the, in, in the role of parents, they both play a role. But when they're asking what, 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 and why, 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 a mother's nurturing, love, loving, patient pours instruction into them. That's two, but primary, it's the mom that's taking the lead in that role. In those early years, teaching and nurturing and, and, and com with compassion and, and uh, intuition and peacemaking. All, the, all those things that a, a mother does in forming those children. But when they hit puberty, dad needs to come to the forefront and, and says, this is who you are. This is what you must pursue. You train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they are old, they shall not depart from it. This is not so much teaching them wrong for right, even though that's important, teaching them wrong for right. That's the way that I've always interpreted that verse, that you're supposed to teach them right from wrong, and when they get older, they won't depart from, from that teaching. No, you're teaching them. Fathers, you're supposed to be teaching them in the way that they should go, their purpose, their destiny. 
They, so they're not bouncing through life, not knowing what God has called them to. You're supposed to see their God-given gifts, their God-given talents. You're supposed to be praying, and, and, and you're supposed to be, with the help of the Holy Spirit, pulling that identity out of them. Dads need to pull out the God-given destinies out of their children and start prophetically speaking it over them. It was, it was the fathers that laid hands on their children and pronounced the blessing on them in the Old Testament that would, that would follow them for the rest of their lives. Both moms and dads have a part to play but there are distinctions. Dads are not moms. Moms are not dads. But we live in a culture that is trying to promote something different. You can have two moms in your house. You don't need a dad. You can have two dads in your house. You don't need a mom. Men and women are not the same. Father and mothers are not the same. We do not play the same roles. So what's the solution? The church needs to be willing to father the fatherless and mother the motherless. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 8, it says, But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. The same is true with spiritual children. If they are not taught by spiritual parents, they turn into spiritual bastards. Question, do you consider yourself a mature Christian man? It's Father's Day, but women too. If, you, if, if, if you've been a Christian for over three years, that's how long the disciples were, th- were with Jesus, then you should consider yourself a mature Christian if you were discipled. That's the key, if you were discipled. So if you're sitting here this morning and you say, well, I guess I am a mature Christian man, Has it ever dawned on you that you are called to be a spiritual father? See, the church gives birth to children and leaves them fatherless. We get excited when people get born again, when they get get born into the kingdom, and then we leave them at the altar trying to survive on their own. We are not called to make Christians. We are called to make disciples. And, And the very nature of a disciple is that... They need someone to teach them. We care more about getting people to pray a prayer. This, this came from the leadership book that we're reading right now. We care more about getting people to pray a prayer than we do about raising children into mature followers of Christ. It's nothing more than pregnancy, a pregnancy that is produced from a religious one-night stand where all they're left is with a prayer they don't understand and a book they can't read. Church, we must rise up and become fathers and mothers who care about our spiritual children. You know, I, I can see, I can see that, that there could be a whole ministry just, just in that rites of passage in, 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 of, of young, men be, young boys becoming men. I mean, there, there could, I could see a whole ministry in our, in our church just from that, reaching out to the community and having these rites of passage. I picture, I picture it, it, it could end with, 
I don't know. Now I'm talking off the cuff. It could end with, with, with a night at night and, and, and just tiki torches, torches making a hallway. We could put the father on one end and the son on the other and have them run through. What happens? What happens when believers are not, new believers aren't parented? Most of them go back to the world from which they came. And this is not the gospel. And when people leave the church, they get born again, and they do not get fathered, they do not get mothered, they don't get nurtured, they don't get discipled, and they go into the world, it's twice as hard to get them to come back. Because they think they've already tried that. They've already done that. And they don't realize that they never ever experienced true Christianity. Alicia, can you and the team come up? This morning, I just give you a lot of facts. And I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit will start doing something within us that we would understand that we need spiritual mothers. We need spiritual fathers. We need to be connected. If you're a man and you're a woman in this church, are you pouring into anyone younger than you? And, you, and, and if you're sitting here thinking, well, I don't have nothing to give. I have nothing to offer. That's a lie. Your experiences in life are enough. They don't want to hear what I have to say. Did they tell you that? Or did you tell yourself that? And if you're a young person in the church and you don't have an older person mentoring that is speaking into your life that you don't feel that you even have a good enough relationship to go up them to them and ask them a question about life. You need I hope today that the Holy Spirit has, has convinced you that you need a father. You need a mother. You need a spiritual father. You need a spiritual mother. Someone that you can talk to. Someone that you can ask questions to. Someone that you can bounce ideas off from. Man. See, in, in, in Christianity, in the church in America today, it's come all about putting on the best feast. It's become about putting on the best show. It's about consumerism. I go to a church because they uh, do this for me. They have a great worship team. They, they do great, great things for my kids. They do all these things, programs and stuff like that. But that's not what the church is meant to be. We're not, you're not supposed to come to church to consume. You're supposed to come to church to give, to pour into other people's lives. This is about relationships. This is a family. And listen, I can't do it all. I can't do it all. I can't father everyone. I can't mother everyone. I can't be a friend, intimate friend with every single one. We're all, we all have a responsibility.
We just got to come against that fear. And start loving one another more than we love ourselves. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.